Thank you, Danny. You grew up in a, a Baptist church household, didn't you? Did you guys celebrate Advent? Wow, you're a good Baptist. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, it, it was so crazy. My, when Corey and I got married, she grew up in a, a very large church in Southern California. And uh, I have people waving in the back. And so I, first I want to dismiss, I want to invite our children preschool through fifth grade to head on back with Pastor Angela, with Jan, and Robin back there to your children's classes. The adults will hear this mesmerizing story that I'm about to tell about my wife, Corey, growing up in church. And we got married, and, and um, you know, I grew up, I had this tradition of Advent uh, that was a part of my life and my family, and, and she was like, what's that? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? She'd like never heard of it before. That's not true. She'd heard of it, but it definitely wasn't a part of, of, of her life. And so uh, there's been a little bit of a learning curve with that, and we just take it for granted. And it can be a very special time of the year and a magical time for the Holy Spirit too. Well, we are wrapping up our series, our sermon series that we've been in for the month of um, November called Roll With It. And this has been about cultivating thanksgiving and gratitude and contentment that the Lord has provided for us in this world that often leaves us feeling dissatisfied. God wants to help us to be content. He wants to help us to be at ease with where we are right now because being content isn't just about material possessions. One of the beautiful things about developing contentment in your life is the freedom that it enables us to discover. It can be freedom from that desire or need for more and more. It can be freedom from this thought of like, oh man, I just want to be more comfortable or I'm going to be this comfortable someday. And so you're constantly stockpiling resources to, to get to whatever point that is. Contentment gives you the freedom from all of that. And you start to own your stuff rather than having it own you. And that sets the stage for a kind of transformation that only God could do in our heart. And that sets the stage for what we're going to talk about today, about graceful giving. And here at Cascade, we, want to, or we believe that God is shaping us to be a people who are generous, who are joyful, who are just, and at some point, all those aspirations, all those values start to intermingle and weave together. And the Bible describes giving or generosity as a joy, which I admit Sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? I mean, can giving actually be enjoyable? That may be up for debate. I mean, for some of us, yes. For others, maybe it depends. I don't know. But even Jesus weighs in on the, on the subject countless and countless times. I mean, I forget what the exact number is, but Jesus talks about money a lot, like so much so that it makes me uncomfortable. You're like, okay, Jesus, that's enough on that subject already. Um, but the Bible is not silent on, on possessions and about our material wealth. And in very helpful and constructive ways, not in ways that are meant to beat us up or feel guilty or uh, anything else. But Jesus is quoted as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. More blessed to give than to receive. And we can nod our heads and say, yes, theoretically, I agree with that. But is it true for you? Is it true for you? Is it more blessed to give than receive? And this is the perfect time for us to talk about it as we kind of ramp up for the, Christ, uh, the Christmas season. 
you know, how can we keep this as the giving season for us and not just get wrapped up in the getting season for us? How can we learn to enjoy giving? And the experience of the early church will help us. We're going to read this morning from a passage of scripture that comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. And let me provide just a little background first. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a group of Christians in Corinth. And he's writing them about an offering that he was collecting for a very impoverished uh, group of Christians in Jerusalem. And so if you think about, you know, Jerusalem and uh, Greece, you know, if you recall your middle school geography, you know, they're not right next to one another. They're close, but they couldn't be more far apart in terms of uh, culture. We're talking two different people groups, two different languages. Uh, Corinth is a very cosmopolitan, uh, pretty affluent place in the ancient world. Jerusalem, not so much. That is a backwater of the Roman Empire at this point. And so here you have two churches who practically have nothing in common except one thing. They had both found life in Christ. And ever since then, Christians have been discovering whether they speak the same language or not, uh, whether they make the same income or not, whether they're from the same part of the world or not, that they have something so profoundly, impactfully in common with one another, and that's life in Christ. And there's something magical that happens in us. When, I, when the Jesus in me can see the Jesus in you, um, there is a unity that's possible if we allow it to be. And so Paul tells the Corinthians about this need in Jerusalem, their brothers and sisters, their family members there, and they heartily support him. Yeah, Paul, we're all in, but that was, we don't know how long ago, and in the meantime, their enthusiasm has kind of drifted. And so Paul's writing this to kind of get them excited once again, and he says this. And now, brothers and sisters, I'll read this for you from the screen. We want you to know about the grace that God has given to the churches in Macedonia. They have suffered a great deal, but their joy was more than full. Even though they were very poor, they gave very freely. I give witness that they gave as much as they could. In fact, they gave even more than they could. Completely on their own, they begged us for the chance to share in serving God's people in that way. They did more than we expected. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. Then, they gave themselves to us in keeping with what God wanted. Titus had already started collecting money from you, so we asked him to get you to finish making your kind of gift. You do well in everything else. You do well in faith and in speaking. You do well in knowledge and in, in complete commitment. And you do well in your love for us. So make sure that you also do well in the grace of giving to others. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And that last phrase, the grace of giving to others, um, is kind of a, this is a monumental passage about this grace. And in the original language, there, it just ends that way. See to it that you also excel in this grace. And English translations, they put in of giving to help us clarify, you know, what he's, what he's talking about. But Paul wants these Christians, and by extensions, uh, extension all Christians, to excel in this grace. Because grace 
is behind why we give. And when we talk about grace, um, that's a word that gets used a lot around churches and groups of Christians. And so when we're talking about the grace of God, we're talking about this unconditional, um, benevolent gift that he gave us in Jesus Christ. And there's nothing that we as human beings did or, or can do or will do to prompt God in Christ to give his life up for us. That's what we mean by grace. God's grace comes free of charge. It just is. It is before we're aware of it. When we discover God's grace, it's not like it just began or, or, or happened. It's always been there. We get into it. We realize what it is. It's God's grace. We celebrate it. We sing about it. Um, it's truly wonderful. It's also at the heart of generosity. And when we talk about generosity, we always get uptight in, in churches because it's like, oh, well, actually, I'll, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you don't get uptight when you attend church and we're talking about generosity or giving. Pastors get uptight, okay? We, I, we are always this like ball of nerves before the Sunday that, well, man, that's the Sunday we're going to talk about giving and we spend all night, you know, thinking about it. I want you to know I did not spend all night thinking about it, okay? But there was a point in my pastor life where, oh, I'm going to offend people. I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm gonna, people are going to think we're always about money. And I don't, I don't know, somewhere along, the, somewhere along the line, you just get to the point where you're like, yeah, we need to talk about this. It's just like anything else in our spiritual lives. So let's talk about it and not end up in this like ball of anxiety and nerves. So uh, we're going to start this morning just by pointing out why we give. And one reason that we give is because it's a reflection of God himself. We're made in God's image. We're daughters, we're sons, made just like him. And even though we've been broken and sin has entered this world, Christ has come to redeem and restore and make us new once again. And so giving is part of this journey of polishing off or putting back the pieces of that mirror inside of us once again to reflect God. Because this is at God's heart, uh, generosity, his generosity. And um, one reason we want to grow in the grace of giving is that it signifies a spiritual maturity in us. And it's a maturity like a fine wine kind of maturity. It's just good. So the apostle um, Paul, he says, you know, when you give financially to church, you're helping the church pursue mission. You're helping expand the kingdom of God. It's more than just about paying the bills. As Paul says, as you abound in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in diligence and your love for us, see that you also abound in this grace. When you look at all of the things that he says there, he's like, he's faith and knowledge, what else was there? Speech, diligence, love, also in this grace of giving. Um, you never know. It, it, sometimes people will stop giving to the church as a way like, man, we're just really mad at the church. And you might be surprised to know that like, we don't actually just keep tabs on everybody, like a running list. 
I mean, we do pay attention to that sort of thing because it's important. And as a pastor, I also know that it's a sign of spiritual health in people. Um, but very early on, I learned, like, you can't tell. People can show up every week and sit in the same seat. People can attend every single Bible study. They can drive a nice car. They can dress well. I, I, we have no idea how they are contributing either financially to the, to the church or other causes, Christian causes, in the kingdom. We have no idea. And um, the reason I say that is because learning to be generous with material things is a matter of spiritual maturity. And what Paul is saying here is like, hey, it's not just about memorizing Bible verses and getting stuff in here. There's also a journey that needs to happen to here. And we start to see that manifest in people's lives, like how they love one another or how committed they are to, you know, the fruits of the Spirit developing in their lives. It also shows up in how they give. But it's an act of grace. It's an act of grace that we get to participate with Christ and other believers. And the reason that we give the why is that this is a spiritual act in us. It's a journey. And as we unlock this part of our soul, or we unlock a part of our soul when we open ourselves in this way. It's really interesting to me that outside the walls of the church, it's kind of become standard fundraising practice for organizations to find a group of donors or a donor to offer matching funds. And the reason for this is obvious. It's not just about the bottom line. I mean, obviously, we do, a lot of times organizations are trying to raise the most money that they can, but they're also trying to raise the most donors. And when you look at what the Apostle Paul is doing in Corinth, he doesn't say, hey, Corinth, Jerusalem needs this much. He says, basically, hey, Corinth, we need all of you to participate. Because there's something that happens in us when we open our hearts to giving. Paul is interested in participation because every soul needs to give. And as followers of Christ, um, you know, giving financially to support the work of the local and global church is a must. But giving, I think, I mean, if you don't want to give to the church, fine. Give somewhere. I actually think it's that important for people, that important for us as human beings. And if you, I, we only know our own experience, but this is really hard for us as people. This is really hard for us in our society and our culture. We are not a giving and generous society. And I know you're like, whoa, Dan, that's, you know, these are fighting words. We're not. We have to get prompted and controlled and or, uh, cajoled and guilted into it. But it can be so much better. There are actually people out there that enjoy giving. There's actually a lot of people out there that enjoy giving. And part of the reason they enjoy it is that they've taken this journey and they've grown to be more like Christ in this part of their life. We can do it too. The first thing I want to just throw out as, as a way of, of paying attention to how the Apostle Paul instructs the early church to enjoy giving, to be more generous. The first thing is that giving is meant to be enjoyable. 
At the beginning of this passage, Paul is talking about Macedonians. He throws out another church. And as you kind of read between the lines, they weren't rolling in money. They were very poor. And in verse 2, he says, in the midst of very severe trial, we'll see how this, the translation that I magically selected uh, this morning, there we go. They have suffered a great deal, but their joy was more than full. Even though they were very poor, they gave very freely. And so the first thing we want to take away this morning is that giving is meant to be joyful. These Christians were pleading Paul for the privilege and sharing in this service. And giving can be joyful for us when we learn to see it as a ministry. The word that uh, was used at the end of that passage, uh, Paul says service. This is actually like a, this is actually a thing in Jewish culture. The word is diakonos. When I was little, my mom served on a church board called the Diaconate Board. Same, same root. But, but the whole idea is this is the, the part of our people that cares for our people. And so the first thing in establishing how giving, uh, giving can be joyful is for us to see this as a ministry that we're participating in. It's a service to others. The second thing is that giving becomes a joy when you don't count the cost. Giving becomes a joy when you don't count the cost. Wasn't sure how to word this one. Um, but the whole phrase, give till it hurts, doesn't sound like much fun, does it? The whole idea of like sacrificial giving, which is very biblical, doesn't sound very much fun. And I, I, I was reading this week, and I read this article from K.L. Choffin is his name, and he said this. He said, for the most part, there's little sacrifice or joy in our giving. He's talking about Christians. But Paul lays down the principle that people who give generously out of love for the Lord and his church grow and mature in their faith because they don't count the cost. I think what he means here is that if we continually give out of our abundance, like, oh, when I feel like I have enough, then I'll give a little away, it's never going to happen because you never feel like you have enough. But if you start to have the mindset um, that I can give, like, this is kind of outside of my circumstances. Joy is outside of our control and our circumstances. Contentment is out of our control and circumstances. It's a gift of God that he gives to us. So if we, um, what I'm trying to say here is that we see these dollars amount, dollar amounts that are out there for us. When you don't count the cost, there, there's, a, there's a portion of us that just sees the need. And instead of seeing the dollar amount of what this is, but instead you're looking at the need and the other people and the way that God is going to use you to meet that need or to participate in that ministry or to serve however, suddenly that flips the script. It becomes less about the money 
and more about what you're doing. And when you can flip the script and, and get that kind of mindset, suddenly giving gets a whole lot more fun. Because you're not just thinking about, oh, here's this amount that I'm going to give here. No, instead you're thinking about, here's how God wants to use me, or here's this group or this people that we're going to help or whatever it might be. Hugely, 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 hugely important. Giving is meant to be joyful. Learning to enjoy giving also means that we put the Lord first. Uh, There's a very important order in our giving. The first is giving ourselves to the Lord. And then this is verse 5 out of 2 Corinthians 8. It says, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord, then they gave uh, then to us by the will of God also. And what Paul's saying is, is that there's an important order to our giving. For followers of Christ, we first give ourselves to God. We first give ourselves to God. We first give ourselves to God. We love God and we love others. We first give ourselves to God. Then we give ourselves to others. When we get this order down, it helps reorient us. Because, like I said, it's easy for us to start with the money first. Oh, I'm going to give this much and then go find. We're flipping this around. We're going to give ourselves God first. We're going to love others, give ourselves to others. Then our generosity follows. And I can't stress this one enough. Maybe another way to say it is, God doesn't want your money. He actually wants you. That should terrify us. God doesn't want your money. He wants you. And when he has you, he'll also have your money and your time (laughs) and your resources, whatever. This is the Bible's perspective. It should kind of freak you out. God doesn't care about your money. God cares about you. God wants you. God wants me. He wants us as his people. And all that other stuff will follow. Important order. Um, Recently I had someone talk to me about the giving growth curve. I thought that was a great way. And, And they were talking about in their own experience, in their own life. Like, you know, we had to ride the giving growth curve. And so I've thought a lot about that on, like, where am I at on the giving growth curve? And um, to even get on the curve, it starts with just giving yourself to God first and then giving yourselves to others. Um, I'm going to talk about m- more about that in a second. But um, joyful giving, the most important thing for us as followers of Jesus, it's from the heart. And at one point, Paul actually says that he's not commanding the Corinthians to give. And whenever I, you know, yeah, he says, he's like, I'm not commanding you. And as a pastor, I wish he had said, I am commanding you, right? (laughs) Come on, Paul, you're making this difficult for us. I'm not commanding you. Um, It says this, verse 8, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Or in our translation for this morning, I am not commanding you to do it, but I want to put you to the test. I want to find out if you really love God. I want to compare your love with that of others. You know the grace shown by our Lord Jesus Christ. Even though he was rich, he became poor to help you because he became poor 
you can become rich. He's laying it on thick there, isn't he? That's like when your mom says, I'm not going to command you to clean your room, but I would really like for you to value cleanliness as a person, you know? So you go clean your room. Like, okay, mom, I'll do it. But the principle for us, what he highlights here, he's trying to say that God's not asking you to do something that he's not willing to do first. God's not asking you to do something that he's not willing to do first. Christ gave his life for us. Christ became poor as it's set up there. We're called to follow him. And uh, when we give, it's not for the tax write-off. It's not to make us feel better about how much we have. It's because we've begun to actually care for others. We care for the ministry of the church. We care for the ministry of the kingdom. And so we want to participate in this. We'll beg to participate in this, even if people look at us and say, oh, you don't have enough money to do that. And where we get all tripped up in this conversation of giving is when we start to talk about how much. How much? And in the Old Testament, there was actually a number. The tithe. It's 10%. And this was an ingenious system um, that God designed, but people rarely did it. And by Jesus' time, they had so twisted the system. I mean, the Pharisees would take a tenth of everything that they had, you know, like you get a pile of gravel in your yard, you know, you take a tenth out and you give it to the church. I mean, this just became so legalistic. And even though they were giving a tenth, they were still incredibly greedy in their hearts. And God was like, that's not the point. Maybe one of the most important components to becoming a generous person is that learning to give is more a matter of our heart than our circumstances. And the size of the gift doesn't matter to God. In 2 Corinthians eight twelve, he says, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. God wants our heart. Years ago, I was eating lunch with a, a, actually a local pastor, pastor from the area, and uh, he'd been doing this much longer than I had, and I'd, I'd, we were just kind of talking about how-to sorts of conversations. And, and the, the whole topic of, of generosity and, and giving came up. And he tells me, he's like, he's like, you know, that one's hard. He's like, I've learned that people are probably, he's like, it's a tie when it comes to people's time and people's money. What's more precious to them? And, and he, he tells me, he's like, How long ago I realized you just can't tell where a person's heart is. He's like, but man, when I see people who are serving and giving, I know that they've given themselves to the Lord. And that's my goal. He's like, that's my goal as a pastor, is to help lead people on that journey, that fullness of, of life cycle, of spiritual maturity and growth in Christ. And um, I think that's what Paul is kind of getting at here in this passage. He wants to see the Corinthians respond like the Macedonians um, because it's an expression of their faith 
and who has their heart. So whenever we get to this point in the conversation about, you know, the giving is meant to be joyful, um, God wants to make us generous people, he wants to open our eyes to the needs and um, opportunities around us, and it always helps to provide a few reference points because we get to the, well, how much part, and like I said, we get all tripped up. The historical standard for God's people is 10%. So if you bring in, as a family, $175,000 a year, you do the math, that's $17,500. And if all of us did that, we would have a very robust church ministry. In fact, it would be so fun to dream about what we could do for the kingdom and how we could impact our neighbors and our surrounding community if we had those kind of resources rather than the conversation that usually happens where we're wondering what to cut. But I know some of you just choked on your coffee when I said 10%. But there's actually a lot of people who do it. And you should know that your pastor and his family do it. It took us a while as a family to grow. That growth curve that I was mentioning earlier. But we decided that we wanted to do it. And man, early in Corey and my marriage, that was a hard one. It took us some time to, to, to grow in that category. But we did it. And for a long time, there was always big gulps when we wrote the, you know, half a mortgage size payment to the church each month. You're thinking, man, I'd really like to drive a newer car, right? But then something happened. It stopped being hard. It's just something that we do. It took a lot of time and energy and uh, to get there, but once we arrived... Then suddenly there's there actually a lot more joy in it because there was a freedom over our finances that existed because we had gotten there. Now the question, I don't think for us, so that might have been the first half of our life. The last half of our life is going to be a way different. It's not going to be, well, how much should I give? The question for us is going to be, how much should we keep? And I hate that question. But man, when I read the New Testament and when I read Jesus and I see what he says about possessions, and when I read the New Testament and what Paul says about, I don't think 10% is the ceiling. 10% is the floor, like the first stop on the bus. The question for us in the latter half of our life is definitely going to be how much should we keep? And this is stuff that we wrestle with as a family, uh, as a person, definitely. This is one of those areas that's always been tough for me as a follower of Jesus. Always been tough. But it's a point that I, I have to wrestle. I have to struggle. Because for me, that's the area where it's like, does God have my heart? Does, do I really, does he, I say I believe in him? Do I really trust him? That's the point, at least for me in my journey of faith, where, where I have to wrestle. And the question isn't, you know, how much do I give? It's how much should I keep? So uh, for us as a congregation, um, I'm just kind of verbally spewing here this morning uh, about giving. 
and about this topic because we haven't talked about it for a few years. And honestly, I've avoided it. I mean, through the pandemic, I mean, all of us were just, we were suffering, right? And so, so much uncertainty, we didn't know what was, but we're kind of moving out of that stage. And I think it's time for us to talk about this again as a church, as people, as persons, especially this time of year as, as we're closing in on Christmas and this is on our mind. Where are you at in that giving growth curve? I think what God wants, you know, I don't know if God wants this, I want this for you as your pastor, like just be intentional. Set a goal no matter where you are. Because there is a point where that giving and that generosity can become joyful. And man, that is liberating. You can get there. We can get there. And the reason we want to get there is because we want to dream as a church about how God, God, how do you want to use us in our community? That takes resources. We've done some pretty fantastic things in our community over the last decade and, and long before that. We had to cut a lot of those programs last year because we didn't have the money. We had to cut staff last year because we didn't have the money. And so, you know, we've had a year of grieving and a year of loss and, and longer, two years of cutback. When are we going to round the corner and be able to dream again as a congregation? How does God want to use us? How does God want to use us? And so I'm going to close in prayer here uh, for us to help to learn about the, to enjoy giving, this grace that God's called us to, this ministry that it is, and how we as a congregation might impact the world for God. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we come before you this morning and um, we know that guilt is a terrible or only a short-term motivator. God, we want you to change our heart. And you know how selfish I am in my heart and how difficult it is, Lord, for me to let go of the things that you've provided me in my life. So help me to change, Lord. Help me to continue to become more like you, to become more like Christ, who was so generous, who would give himself up, Lord, for our behalf. It's going to take a miracle, Lord. It's going to take a Holy Spirit movement in my life. But I know you can do it. I know I can do it. And as it relates to our church, Lord, um, man, we live in a place where there are tremendous needs. It doesn't seem like it because we're surrounded by wealth. We're surrounded by material success. But there are so many people who either need to hear about you and how they could discover a new life in you, or people who actually physically need, Lord, that we could come alongside and, and help out in times of need. Lord, help us as a congregation to surrender to you, to give ourselves to others. Won't you do that? We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. I know there is peace in his presence. And Jesus has come to set the captives free, whether that's a bunch of uptight Seattleites or a bunch of people in Macedonia or Corinth 2,000 years ago. 
He's come to set us free and to live free. And that comes through God's grace. And so walk in his peace and his presence. Walk in his generosity and his justice and in his joy this week. Um, Have a blessed Thanksgiving and an awesome start to your Advent. We'll see you next week. Amen.